Hi, welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Get it straight. Uh, this is where two brothers talk about comic books that they love. The only podcast in the history of mankind where two brothers talk about comic books. My name is Will Hines. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother. Uh, Kevin lives in New Jersey. I live in California. So you're getting an East Coast, West Coast perspective on this. Yeah, we're crossing time zones to make this podcast happen. It's a miracle. If we could go back yeah. to ancient Egypt, they would not believe really any of this. We could go back to six years ago. This would not have been possible. <laughs> yeah. Two years ago, Apple computer no. would be floored. We would be hired on the spot. As wizards. By, 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 <laughs> yeah, by the government. Yeah. To be like, fix everything. Use your magic. <laughs> Use your magic with this time zone Rectify became Stanley there. Um, this episode, uh, we are picking up uh, going over Batman Year One, a four part Batman story, one of the most critically acclaimed and popular and heralded Batman stories of all time, with good reason. And it's Kevin and I's, one of Kevin's and I's, whatever the proper way to say that is, favorites of all yeah, comic, of all superhero stories, certainly. We're covering this comic that everyone loves, and our hot take is this is really good. Yeah, this is great. This is really um, good. We've always liked it. We still like it. Everyone is right to like it. The end. Um, if you don't have time to listen to this podcast and the next two follow-up episodes, that's the part you need to know. It's good. Yeah, the rest of this is unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, it's just unbelievably good. It's written by Frank Miller. It's drawn by Dave Mazzuchelli. Uh It came out just as part of the regular Batman comics and Detective Comics uh, at the time, the, the regular monthly Batman comics. Just like, you know, one issue in Batman, next issue Detective, next issue Batman, next issue Detective, something like that. And it was, it was just, it's just like immediately great. They did a year or two eventually, right? Like it Todd was, McFarlane did year two. I think it was all Batman. Oh, okay. It was issues 404, 405, 406, and 407 of Batman. It wasn't even like issue 400 Which or it, leading up to. Like it could have easily, like it's so close to 400. It should have been like the thing that launched with 400 or ended in issue 400. Yeah. Or 400 could have just been an oversized. I mean, this should be like, it almost feels like an afterthought. Everyone knew Frank Miller was good at this point, right? He was really good at this point. He was not and, missing. And was this before or after Born, uh, after Born, Again? Born Again? After Born Again. So, so you got to know it's going to be good. Yeah. Frank Miller and David Messicelli did Born Again. Everyone loved it. They want to do a Batman story for you. Of course. Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, we can't. Put it in for issue 400 because we're doing a, I wonder what they did for issue 400. I think I have vague memories of 400 and it was one of those things where like every page was drawn by a different artist, like oh, a I lot of those. the big Batman artists or something like that. And the story was pretty forgettable, but it was just sort of like an all hands on deck. Everybody paid tribute to the great character Batman. I'm looking at this through the uh, DC Universe app, an, a an app that will pro is being slowly absorbed by HBO Max, except for the comic book portion of it. Yeah, it's it's got a Bill Sienkiewicz uh, cover. Yep. But like, eh, you know, whatever. I'm sure it was good. Then it's followed up by issue 401, a Legends crossover with Magpie. You can't. That's bad. You can't bump that. <laughs> That's got to go. Sorry, Miller. Sorry, Mazzuchelli. We got this Magpie story. It ties yeah. into Legends, which is a okay crossover. Mm -hmm. We got it. We got to do it. Right. Batman needs that Legends bump. Yeah. That you can't give us. Uh, 
Then there's like a, a couple more issues of Batman where there's like another guy in a Batman costume fighting him. That's a story that's just, oh, we heard that story. We were yeah. like, get that in right away. Yeah. Frank Miller were pushing you up to 404. Maybe, maybe Miller and Mazzuccelli weren't done. Uh, the moment the series ended, the, the next uh, issue, 408, was Batman The New Adventures. It was like a weird subtitle underneath. I'm just skimming through it. I see that. It's where Jason Todd is stealing the Batmobile tire. So this must be like the pre, the post-crisis reintroduction of Jason Todd. Okay. I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, but I, why is it called The New Adventures? Were they worried after year one that people would think it was still in the past? I don't even know. Anyway, Batman seems like a weird comic book for like what you would think is... It wasn't that long till Death in the Family either. Well, I guess pretty long. Twenty Issue 426. So that's almost two years. Uh, it's crazy. that it, it just seems very funny to me. It'd be like if Watchmen was released as like uh, uh, Blue Beetle annuals or something. <laughs> hey, an alternate reality. Yeah. Uh, it'd be like, oh, it feels like we undersold this. Um, we're doing issue two. We did issue one with Z Chun of TKO Presents a couple episodes ago, and that's what made us want to do this, just picking up the issues again. So, Yeah, this is one we were talking about doing for a long time. Yeah, it was Z on was our like, list. Z, let's cut. Z wanted to cover an issue. We're like, yeah, of course. And then we did it. Like, well, now we can't wait. We can't wait to come back to do it. We have to do it now. I've already read it twice since then. Not that it's that long, but I just I can't you know pick it up. I can't resist picking I mean, it, it up. It also just sings. I mean, this. It really moves. Yeah. I uh, Kevin, you mentioned this. This was one of your maybe still is one of your go to recommendations when people have not read superhero comics and like, yeah, what's a good comic to read? You'll recommend this one. And I can see why, because it's just really readable. It's like nice and simple and good. You don't really need to know a ton of backstory. It tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Stands alone. It's, it's completely self-contained, yeah, because it's it's his origin story. So there's nothing before it. Um, it doesn't it doesn't end with like, where does this go from here? It's like now he's just Batman. Uh, the art is great, of course, and the story is great. But yeah, it's real simple, and it's not. It's even asking someone to read Watchmen. It's sort of like that sort of takes into account you like superheroes probably because yeah. we're sort of deconstructing this thing. Which and, and Watchmen is dense and complicated and difficult. Yeah. Even if you love it, we love it. It's like it's hard to read Watchmen. Yeah. And if you don't already like superheroes and or comic books, it'd be a tough place to start. And I think Dark Knight Returns would be sort of off putting unless you were already yes. like a big Batman fan. Dark Knight Returns feel, I mean, it is magnificent and one of our favorite comics, but it is like cluttered. There's a lot of text, a lot of panels. It's sometimes hard to discern what's happening here or there, like sort of on purpose. There's a lot of mystery and like things are not revealed. Like who's this person? We don't know. This one's like pretty straightforward. Yeah. And like other comics that I would recommend to people would be like older comics and be like, well, I can't recommend Amazing Fantasy 15. It just feels dated. Yeah. You've got to read that because you want to read it. So then you're like, it's tough. Or like you're recommending a non-superhero book. And when people ask for comic book recommendations, most of the time they want superhero stuff. Yeah. Because they don't know there's other stuff. Um, what so are other sp- recommendations? I think I recommend that Vision series. That kind of stands alone in a sort of fun. Now you could, yeah. And that hasn't existed until a few years ago. I think that Vision series is great by yeah. Tom King and uh, yeah. Greg Walta. Um, yeah, there's not a ton of stuff. That are that's easy to recommend. I mean, there's a few things, but I, I think I told you this. But like when I recommended when I gave this to my friend now, like ten years ago or fifteen years ago, after he gave it back to me, he's like, "Give me something else like this." 
as good as this. I was like, oh, there's nothing. There's, <laughs> there's nothing, nothing as good else. as this, yeah. I gave you the best thing. Sorry. So you're done. I guess the killing joke is pretty easy to read, but it's a really violent and brutal story, mm-hmm. and that's off-putting, I think. And again, I think you've got to be interested in the Joker to some extent, a little bit. I mean, everyone knows who the Joker is, at least. But yeah. There isn't, like, a great Spider-Man self-contained story. I mean, Craven's Last Hunt is pretty it's too good. Weird. It's too weird. But it doesn't feel like a typical good Spider-Man story. Like, Spider-Man doesn't have a Batman year one. That's true. He deserves one. Um, Chuck Dixon uh, did some year one stories, and I think there's mixed feelings. Some of them he did Robin year one and Batgirl year one uh, and Nightwing year one. Um, and I think Robin year one and Batgirl year one are great. Really? I think they're really fun. They sort of, I mean, they're clearly. When did they come out? Oh, who knows? Uh, late 90s, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. It's okay. a wild stab in the dark. The art is really good. It, it It's not David Mazzuchelli good, but it is definitely someone who is in that vibe of sort of simple, clear mm-hmm. storytelling. Mm-hmm. And Chuck Dixon is a writer who is also just very clear and straightforward. And he does a good mix of action and smart characterization. So I think they're just really fun reads. I also really love Robin, uh, Dick Grayson Robin. So I was sort of in the bag for it already. But it's just sort of, they're just really fun stories. Um and, it, you know, if someone loved Batman Year One, I would recommend those to, you know, read these. But they will feel like the sequels that wouldn't exist if this one wasn't so good. Like, mm-hmm. no one would have done this Robin Year One story. Yeah. If they did, it wouldn't be anything like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But because this is so good, Year One became, like, a thing that every character does. Do you remember Batman Year Two? I do, just because I love Alan Davis art. Yeah. But oh, I, I thought it was really... Todd McFarlane. I think maybe both of them. Okay, okay. I remember it being like, okay, like not bad, but like it just didn't, it wasn't memorable to me. Yeah. Um, I remember like a cover with like a hole in the cape or something, right? Was that a yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. Let's, they um, did a year three as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, I, that was um, leading up to the, the new Robin. Okay. Uh, so it was sort of like, uh, it was not like a real year one. It was like in continuity with flashbacks to Robin's first year. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, year one's become a thing. Like there's been a flash year one, like Wally West, uh, born to run had a year one type story and that just became a big thing. So, uh, let's get into it. I think let's do it. Um, I don't have the covers in my, um, is it this? Uh, yes. Okay. I do have the covers. Um, um, I have, because um, I'm reading the DC Universe app, so it's basically, it was hard to find. They, eventually I found they had like a subset of storylines, but it's just like, it's within their Batman comics. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading it in issue form in oh, a way. Fun. So we uh, ended so have, we ended issue one with Bruce Wayne getting the idea to dress as Batman. Yes. He and, went out on a couple like crime fighting forays and it didn't go so well because they weren't scared enough. So mm-hmm. he's like, I'm going to scare them by dressing up like this weird thing. Yeah, this bat. And, Go- and Gordon had uh, beaten up all the cops that had, or Flass. He beat up Flass, who had been... His corrupt partner. His partner. His corrupt, corrupt partner, one. who had been sort of threatening him and chasing him down and sort of threatening his unborn child. And Gordon sort of took him down, beat him up. So, yeah, as we said in the last episode, Batman Year One is the dual story of James Commissioner James, well, future Commissioner James Gordon 
and Bruce Wayne. So it's Bruce Wayne becoming Batman and Jim Gordon becoming a like force of a good cop in Gotham. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. This is my crazy thought. You could take out a lot more Batman. I'd still love this comic. I'd, it wouldn't hurt my love of it, I think, at all. You could remove 80% of the Batman That's and crazy. I'd still be like, That's crazy. I'd be like, this is still great. You're nuts. You would be Because these like, first four pages of the story are like, there's no Batman. And I'm like, ooh, this is so good. Well, there is a thing. Yes, I, I think you're crazy. And you in that alternate universe, you were not as excited about Batman year one. I think I think I still would be 20% Batman. I'd be even more intrigued. <laughs> so little Batman. You'd be a really fun editor at DC Comics. Take out all the Batman, his point of view stuff. And it's just the parts where they're sort of interacting Interact. with each other. Oh, that'd be a real good comic. That, you, and now you're selling me again. Like Batman just kind of emerges from the shadows from Jim Gordon's point of view. Yeah. One thing this comic does really well is it just sort of like... Uh, it, it really is confident about you understanding the story with the minimal of exposition. Mm-hmm. Like, it's clear. It's not like it's hiding anything. But, for example, we learn about um, a, a cop on the force named Brandon. And yeah. it's, and Jim Gordon on page... Well, let's just get to it. Jim Gordon, we open, and it says April 4. This comic is always marking what point in year one we are. We're in April 4 mm-hmm. of year one. And it's got it's Jim Gordon stuck in traffic. It's pouring rain, and he gets news on his radio that there's a madman holding kids hostage, and they don't know what to do. And so he is sent to like um, rectify it. And he hears that they are sending Brandon. And I, we might have learned this in the first issue, but it's definitely established here that Brandon is like a super violent leader of a SWAT team who just looks for excuses to beat the crap out of people. I don't think we learned that. I think we meet him here. Okay. So this is an example of just like, it's just done so cleanly. Like we see Jim Gordon in the car, bottom of page one of this issue. It's page 26 of the collection. And, um, and he's getting, Jim Gordon is getting the info on this kidnapper and it's kind of being cut out because there's rain. So it's like, no, sir, no, a violent trouble. It's, Brandon, and then he spills the coffee and goes, Brandon, and um, uh, we see him like almost driving. Uh, you see him driving on the sidewalk all of a sudden in a super hurry to get there. Brandon, him and his lunatic Gestapo, it'll be a massacre. And now yeah. for the rest of the comic, or at least this issue and next issue, we've established this character, Brandon, this nut. We, haven't, we don't even know what he looks like. I don't know if we ever know what he really looks like, clearly. But this character is established so well. This comic's doing that all the time. We also get a very Frank Miller-ish, like the psychopath who's got the hostages talking in gibberish is very Frank Miller. It feels like something from Dark Knight Returns. It feels like something very from much. Daredevil. No, can't, don't, don't want, isn't blank. Like he's not making any sense yep. throughout. He's just sort of stringing words together with a gun pointed to a child's head. It's a very violent comic, though for Frank Miller, this is... Rated G. Yeah, this is a Disney cartoon. Yeah, this is Lilo and Stitch for Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this, is, but um, it's very. I mean, uh, we're on page one of a of a kid's comic book, basically, and there's a man pointing a gun at a child's head, and it's yeah. upsetting to me, a father, nice. to see that image. As someone who doesn't have kids, I'm all for it. Yeah, I saw you laughing earlier. It's hilarious. Um, and then, so page two, we see Brandon from a distance with his, like, SWAT team. They all are super armed. Um, and we see him talking to Merkel, who is, like... We also learn that Merkel is 
on Jim Gordon's side. This is Gordon's man. Uh, we're not here to argue, Merkel. We're here to clean things up. And I think Merkel is even in Dark Knight Returns. Is that true? I don't remember that, but I believe you. But Frank Miller will do that too. Like he'll have these minor character names that last for like issue, like in Daredevil, you know, the Turk, the right. the criminal who also who shows up in, in Dark Knight Returns. In Dark Knight Returns. But like he has like his favorite little supporting cast who kind of are, you know, the background yeah. characters. I mean, Turk showed up in the Daredevil TV show, so Turk has lasted. <laughs> yeah, I think right now this is not a joke. He has an Infinity Stone. <laughs> uh, so he's either had one recently or has one currently. So that's, that, that's, so a, funny. that's a thing, which I don't, I don't, I don't need Turk to have, but it's very funny that this basically in joke for Frank Miller so, has such a life. I love it. Page two, Jim Gordon is arriving at top speed. He wants to stop Brandon from shooting everybody. Um, we cut to the kidnapper and he's doing the Frank Miller gibberish. Defibrillate doesn't smell often too many guns. Yeah. And I, and I think what we're being told here is like, this guy's crazy. This is a terrifying situation, but somehow Merkel and Gordon can tell that violence is not the way to solve this. Well, the captions are also telling you that, right? Oh, is that right? Uh, he'll, that pi- he'll, he'll push that poor bastard over the edge, uh, is what he says about Brendan. Yeah. Those kids don't stand a chance. Uh, he also says, last month, Brendan and his SWAT team calmed down a riot in Robinson Park, didn't even leave the statue standing. So I guess that is really clear, but it's somehow it is just shy of actually laying it out and saying, you know, Brandon wants to use violence. I don't want to use violence. Yeah. I mean, there's archetypes happening here, which makes it easy. Uh, Gordon's a good cop. Everyone else is a bad cop and less told otherwise. Because <laughs> um, even when he pulls up, the cops in the background are going, uh, where'd he? Oh, man, it's Gordon. <laughs> the buzz kill. Yeah. He gets out of the car, tells Brandon to stand down, and then the caption is, I take the ugly weight off my hip, and he's holding, which he means his gun, and he's holding it by his fingertips. I hold it up like a dead rat and pray that the man understands. Behind me, Brandon curses. I head for the front door. I'm sure nobody can see my knees wobble. So he's going in unarmed to face an armed kidnapper. Miller loves violence so much, that but I love that... uh, he doesn't have Gordon love guns or Batman or I mean, Batman, you can't have Batman love guns cause that's right. sort of one of his things, but it'd be pretty easy to have Gordon be like, you know, I'm a cop. I can use a gun. Yeah. And I like it, it like it, later on this issue, it's hit again, but I, I love that about him, uh, especially in the current climate guns, uh, comics that like, or stories that love guns too much, except for John wick drive me crazy. I see them and I'm just like, ugh, stop. Yeah. Stop worshiping these guns. Yeah. And then John Wick's on the screen. I'm like, ooh, more. Do more of that. I mean, John, John Wick. Wick is insane. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, then uh, there's, so it's already so exciting. He's going in without a gun to fit. You're right. There's no Batman. Batman, we don't need him. That's um, right. I'm th- three pages in. And if you told me, oh, Batman's not going to be in this issue. I don't care at this point. Yeah. So then we cut home and we see Jim Gordon's wife, Barbara, sitting at home watching the news and the news is saying Lieutenant Gordon has entered the building. No shots yet. She's sitting in a chair, very pregnant with a shirt that says baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no shots yet is also what a thing for a newscast to say that like, we're expecting shots. Gordon is unarmed. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, this guy's going to get killed now. So, but how cool is that of the story? This is, and we're like, the importance of this is his wife is hearing this mm-hmm. and it ratchets up the tension. Yeah, I hope Barbara isn't watching. I know she is. 
Uh, yep, and we see her watching. Um, uh, we, we get some more gibberish talk. Spider nasty. Don't noise it. No lunch. No lunch. And then Jim is trying to engage with him and says, I'll order out, like sort of trying to answer the nonsense as a yeah. way of soothing him. But it, it also, like, uh, Miller's so good at noir stuff. It feels like a noir thing here. It's like, it feels like a cool response to the gibberish. Yeah, like you can, um, he's not thrown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a shot where the crazy man is pointing the gun right in Gordon's face. It's like an inch away from his nose. Said no lunch, no gangrene lunch. And Jim says, I know, I know. And then he's close enough to grab the dude's wrist and knock the gun free. Yeah, I love I love the look of Gordon in this comic and in general. He's got sort of an unkempt mustache. He's full head of hair, but it's it's you know messy. Like he both looks badass and he looks totally Uncool. Mundane, yeah, yeah. Both at the same time, um, he's got that Michael that. Douglas falling down glasses. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, and sort of like chemistry professor from the nineteen fifties vibe, but then he is the most badass cop in Gotham. Yeah, it is. He is the parts of Breaking Bad where um, uh, Cranston is like with his family, but still you can see the evil genius underneath. Yeah. But he like still looks like this frumpy professor because he's like at the store with his kid or whatever. Those moments are just so cool to me uh, that, uh, that that is conveyed. Uh, next page, uh, April five. The next still day, no, still no Batman on this page, and I love it. You love it. You're happy. Um, the current commissioner, who is super corrupt and yeah. is hates Gordon because Gordon is good. Brandon is meeting with him. Humiliated me in front of my men. Humiliated me. And the commissioner, nothing but trouble, that one. You know I sympathize, don't you, Brandon? And then we, uh, that's sort of an exterior shot of the office. Then we cut inside, and the commissioner's holding up a newspaper that just says, Hero Cop, with a picture of Gordon holding a child. Yeah. Like, I mean, the press on him is so good they can't hurt him is what it means. Right. Like, the idea that he walked in unarmed and came out with the kid, that would impress anybody, even Gotham City. Uh, yeah. We must be patient. Gordon has the press on his side, says... Uh, what's the, what's the commissioner's name? Loeb. That's right. Loeb. Commissioner Loeb. And we see his office, which as I commented last episode is full of pop art. There's, he's got a Snoopy lamp. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like a Mickey mouse statue, which is not in this panel, but is in other ones. He's got a fake fire hydrant. It's the strangest choice. He's like got, it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse meets corrupt commissioner. Yeah. Uh, we see Gordon at the shooting range, and this is uh, hitting more that he doesn't like guns, but he's also really good at it. Uh, he's firing his guns, uh, and he's really he's like hitting everything. I hate, but at the end, he goes, "I hate the gun. I hate my job. I keep practicing." Yeah, which is such such good captioning. But Frank Miller also loves pulpy violence because Gordon yes. is narrating in his head what this would do to a man if he shot yeah. him. So Miller wants it both ways. He wants like the good cop who doesn't love guns and he wants the gratuitous thrill of like violent text. But this is early Miller where his characters didn't want violence at least. And yeah. then later on they're all they all become uber violent yeah. and revel in it. And now his comics are like people like licking the insides of brains or whatever. I don't know. Kevin, this next page has a panel that is so beautiful. Yeah, unfortunately Batman's in it. Is that the one you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's the first appearance of Batman is so lovely. Uh, but I actually love that page and including the batman panel but imagine if that was what all the batman appearances felt like glimpses well okay that's you make a good argument because this is incredible we cut to now gordon's at home 
with his wife, and he's calling the unborn baby James. He wants it to be a son, but we know that this yeah. is going to be Barbara Gordon, his daughter. No, it's James. Oh, he's got a son? You got to read issue three again, Will. I mean, I, you just read it twice. Oh, that's uh, right. I forgot. I forgot. Frank Miller sort of broke the known continuity, and James is his first kid. I forgot. Sorry. So, uh, I don't know. Let's start this whole podcast over. Let's go back to Spider-Man Amazing Fantasy 15. What? We got to do them all over? Do we do like, all 103 issues of Fantastic Four? I think we should do each issue, <laughs> one podcast per issue this time. Oh, boy. Um, we got to get it right. Uh, yeah, we didn't do Gordon Gideon well enough. Um, <laughs> right. So we see him at home with his wife, and he's had this like you know weird couple of days where he's like you know, and he's risking his life, and the city's crazy, and he's talking about his unborn son James, and he's correct, it's an unborn son. I am wrong. I pray mm-hmm. he's very strong, smart enough to stay alive. How did I let this happen? How did I screw up so badly to bring an innocent child to life in a city without hope? And then the next panel, Kevin, yeah, is a wide shot of Gotham's rooftops. And we see a silhouetted Batman with his cape really wide. This is the first time Bruce Wayne's in his costume that we've seen. Yeah. And, and that's the hope. That's the hope. And that yeah. is so cool. It's it really cool. so exciting to see it framed that way. And then it's all ruined. Later on, we hear Batman talking to us about whatever <laughs> he cares. Uh, I, I, obviously, I love this comic, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. I'm just saying, I think if you did an alter reality where, like, that Batman was a supporting character in the Gordon story, it would still be unbelievably good. It probably wouldn't have been made. Um, That's in Sandman's Dream Library, and I'll read it someday. Good foreshadowing of our yeah. next uh, subject, Sandman Comics. That's right. That's what I'm doing. Um, so then the bottom of this page is April 9th, and we see that Gordon's getting a massage from his wife, and he's all tense, and the phone rings. And this is so great. The end of the page is his wife wearily handing him the phone. It's obviously work. He can't get away from his job. And the and Barbara, his wife, says, it's Merkel, something about a giant bat. Chicken will keep. Meaning, yeah, like, I know you're going, going out. I know you're yeah. skipping dinner. Something about, I mean, I get thrills looking at this page. Yeah. Knowing that Batman is emerging. Yeah. It's really fun. It's really great. And even though this next page, I think, is great, this Batman scene, this is the scene that I would cut out of the Gordon-only version. <laughs> okay. We'd hear well, about this. The We'd next, see it from a far shot or something. The next sequence is our first time seeing Batman in action. So last here's, issue... Here's, we an, saw, here's an alternate version of that, by the way. Okay. A four-issue Gordon series and in Batman Detective Comics and a four-issue Batman series in Batman Comics. Same creative team telling the story from just two different uh, angles. Okay. I'll green, I'll eight issues it. of this. Great, okay. thank you. I'm going to go back in time and make that happen. Do other things. Nope. First this. <laughs> Can you save John Lennon or our family members or anything? <laughs> First this, then I'll get people on uh, the coronavirus uh, vaccine earlier. <laughs> Good luck. Um, That'll be easy. Maybe Once some- I fixed Batman... Once I fix Batman, I'll have the clout to do whatever I want. Maybe somebody already did that. Like, oh, only a year for the vaccine? That's what they had to settle for, the time travelers. Yeah. Well, we don't have it yet, so maybe that didn't work. You know, let's see how well these time travelers did before I go back, I guess. So what we... Okay, setting aside time travelers, we or the next sequence is Bruce Wayne's first fight as Batman. We saw him last issue fight as Bruce Wayne and not do so well. And in this one, it's basically working. The, the first shot is the three criminals looking up mouths agape, just stunned at this apparition. And so it's working, right? He is more frightening. It's going to be easier for him to fight them, which is what he wants. 
Now, this is a world with Superman because the last page referenced Man of Steel. Yeah. But uh, still, people aren't expecting a giant bat to jump down on top of them. I mean, it's one of those things where a guy in a Batman costume could and I think probably would look insane and more confusing than scary. But Miller and Mazzuccelli are such good craftsmen that we are sold on the idea. No, this is a terrifying apparition. Yeah. And it freezes them in their tracks. Throughout this issue, there's also fun things. Uh, The second panel here with Batman, he looks awesome and unstoppable and super competent. And then the next page, he looks like he's in a panic and in over his head. And he sort of alternates throughout that, throughout this issue. And it's really fun. Right. He's still like learning, right? So we see him kind of screw up like... He's on a fire escape. There's three guys. He wants to subdue them, but not hurt them. Not and kill them. Not kill them. Yeah, he does want to hurt them. But um, <laughs> And so one of them falls off the side. He has to catch him and hold him by the ankle so he doesn't die. But then another guy's hitting him with a television set. Somebody else who's the kick. most cool-headed crouches like a cat and gets ready to kick him. So he's got to fend all these things at once. Yeah, it's really great when he first hits the fire escape. Uh, one of them jumps back and he goes, uh, to, to right, the other collects his senses and leaps to position. He'll be trouble. It's just like, yeah, the Frank Miller Batman, like scouting the situation is always really fun. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. Like he just sort of instantly gathers all this information, probably to an unrealistic degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is super, so well-trained to be able to land in the middle of a fire escape and immediately assess all three people around you and act on it is unbelievable. Uh, You know, I normally am somebody who kind of reads fights quickly. I look at the art. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. But I don't really track the give and take of like this punch answered by a kick, this flip answered by whatever. But in Mm -hmm. year one, every fight tells a story. Like we're learning about Batman and his like, you know, mission to like rid Gotham of crime. And yeah. we're learning, it's just, it's the fights tell a story beyond just the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, he, and he does it. It's sloppy. He's overwhelmed at times, but he does his job. He subdues these three guys. But yeah, it ends at the very him, end, he's like on his back, looks out of breath. Yeah. He looks exhausted. And he says, uh, 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 he's talking about the guy he was holding. Good thing he blacked out. If he'd kept thrashing. My shoulder and teeth are still where they belong. Lucky, lucky amateur. He's so hard on himself. I'm like, I think you're doing all right. Yeah. Um, He's an amateur of a thing that nobody does. uh, Then we cut to the May 15th, which is about a month later. I've I've lost track of April 9th. Dates I don't pay attention to. You skip fight scenes. I skip uh, dates. Okay. Um, February 21st in the last issue. Was- so that was April 9th, Batman's first fight. Now, May 15th in the police station, Gordon is holding like a meeting with all the cops where they're trying to figure out Batman. They've got like artist rendering on the wall trying to figure out what he looks like. Uh, we yeah. see our corrupt cop Flash has a neck brace and, the, and a broken arm and a sling. Yeah. Uh, which is not from Gordon because Gordon didn't do enough damage to, re- to leave... Uh, uh, you know, to leave him in traction or anything, I think. Also, he's had time to heal. This is all from Batman, we learn. Yeah, uh, Gordon's introduction here is, uh, if we can stop being hysterical for a moment, gentlemen, our vigilante, or Batman as he's called, has apparently committed 78 acts of assault in the past five weeks. Yeah. So funny. On the wall, one of the artist's rendering of him is of a, of a demon. Like, it almost looks like yeah. Man-Bat. 
The third one is pretty close. Yeah, but it, I guess it's supposed to show that they don't know what they're dealing with. And some of the eyewitness accounts are like, he's a monster. He's not yeah. a human. We also get our first look at Sarah Essen. Yeah, uh, to Jim's left is a is a cop. Uh, uh, is she a detective? Um, Sergeant Essen. Sergeant Essen. Okay, there we go. So um, a cop, and it's a woman, and it's going to be, I'm just going to spoil, it's going to be a love interest of Jim Gordon. Yeah, the Mary Jim Gordon. Uh, she's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but she's, I mean, and this is just uh, how good Mazzuccelli is. She's looking at Gordon in these panels like uh, she likes him. You see it. Yeah, the bottom of the bottom of the page were from Flass's point of view, we're seeing Gordon turn over his right shoulder and say, you've got something to contribute, Detective Flass. But then in the background, not that far in the background, it's Detective Essen, not Sergeant Essen, yeah. uh, is looking at Gordon. And yeah, she's got a crush on him. She looks she's impressed by how he's taking charge of this thing. I think she sees a cop who's a good cop in a sea of corruption, and he's doing it. He's pulling it off. Uh, Gordon reveals that either he or somebody has figured out that Batman is working his way up the crime ladder, trying to figure out, like, who's in charge. He says that he's working his way from street-level crime to its upper echelons, from junkie mugger to pusher to supplier, and along the way to any cops that might be helping the whole process along. Now, Flask, tell us what you know about Batman, right on Which the is, heels of yeah. any cops that are helping crime. Yeah. It's great, because he knows Flask is corrupt. Flask knows he's corrupt. Everyone knows he's corrupt. But now we're going to hear it. This is real fun. We see the pictures are all the actual what happened to Flask, but his captions are all like a... Uh, a narrator telling us Flass's story. Yeah, and Flass is like, just totally lies, right? Like, yeah. I was in the process of single-handedly apprehending the felons, says Flass, and coughs, looks around the room to see if anybody's going to challenge him. And then we see what actually happened is him smiling and just taking a huge bribe from a guy hauling drugs from a car into a truck. That's right, yeah. Uh, we see Batman then swooping down from above. Um, one of the felons I had not yet disarmed produced a 357 Magnum, the guy he was taking money from. This next panel is great. It shows Batman landing on the trunk oh, of this. a car. And the way he lands, his cape is still flowing above him. And the crook, nervous, shoots through the cape. Uh, like, you know what I mean? He's crouched down and the cape is yeah. still up. And so Flash says... He fired point-blank range at the creature. The bullet passed straight through the creature like it wasn't there. Yeah, it's awesome. It both justifies why Batman wears a cape to some extent, not just to, like, look cool. Like, it serves a functional purpose in this fight. Um, it also makes Batman seem bulletproof without putting him in, like, the armor of the movies. Yeah. Which I love. I love that he's just, he's just like, I mean, maybe he's wearing a, bullet, a thin bulletproof chest plate like he does in Dark Knight Returns. I don't know if that's ever established in this, but yeah. he's basically wearing tights. Uh, he um, just doesn't, he can't get shot. It's that sort of like attention to detail, trying to take this unrealistic story and give it like a little verisimilitude. That yeah, is a it's blast. Not like, it's not like Bob Kane and Bill Finger sat there and was like, oh, the cape will make people think he's indestructible. Cause, and it's like, no, they're just like, Superman's Superman's got a cape. cape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Superheroes get capes. Yeah. And now we have to kind of retroactively give it a reason for it. They, in Dark Knight Returns, you know, Batman has the big yellow spot on his chest in some mm -hmm. of his costumes. And Frank Miller decided that there is a thick armor plate underneath it. And that 
it's yellow because he wants the criminals to shoot there because that's where he's most heavily armored. Yeah, it's, it's why he wears a target. Yeah, why do you think I wear a target on my chest? That's where the armor is or something like that. Yeah, which I think is awesome. I, re- I remember reading that Dark Knight Returns and be like, this is fun. Yeah, for the rest of that story, it's like a big open uh, uh, part of his classroom. You just see the chest plate. Yeah. Cool. Um, so some of the cops think Batman is a monster. Gordon's trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, then we, we start to get into a sequence that ends with the sort of iconic moment of the whole series. Yeah. I mean, if it isn't the, I shall become a bat, which was an issue one, which sort of is also iconic, so iconic that people just associate with Batman more than this story. But this next sequence is associated, associated with this story and this story alone. And you see it on Twitter. You just see it show up all the time. People mention it when people do Twitter threads about what's your favorite image from a, a, a comic book. It comes up frequently. Mm. Uh, what, before we get to it, let's take a break. Oh. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back, and we're halfway through discussing Richie Rich, issue 236. So in this issue, Cadbury has started carrying a gun. And uh, <laughs> right, Richie right. Rich is, is like, should I tell Daddy or should I use my money to to bribe Cadbury to stop him from That's using right. a gun? That's right. And uh, some people think this Richie Rich issue is the best Richie Rich issue. I think it would do better if there was less Richie Rich in it, more Cadbury. You're crazy. You would, you'd be really mad if there was not Richie Rich in this issue. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people think we edited poorly. No way. We, the thing about our Richie Rich season is going to be confusing when we get to it. <laughs> How about our sad sack? Oh, man, that, that soldier? Hot stuff? Uh, <laughs> the little devil character or whatever? Yeah, or yeah. The Harvey comics, I don't know. I was going to say right. Lil Abner, but that's a comic strip. I think that we, it's no, we crazy for us to cover that. That'd be insane. Um, so there's like some mansion... And uh, it's Batman. We know it's Batman because his captions are in <laughs> cursive. Um, and Batman is taking out all the security. And we see that it's Commissioner Loeb, the corrupt commissioner, having a banquet. And we can just kind of assume that everybody around Commissioner is sort of dirty. Yeah. Um, and Batman is like sneaking around the grounds and taking, setting up lights and... Yeah. And, like, we don't know what he's up to, but he's up to something. And Loeb is with uh, mobster, like, both criminals and politicians. Though I'm not sure if we know they're criminals. Do we know that um, Falcone is a criminal here? I don't think so. Um, but he is. But he, he says, so while Batman is, like, fussing on the outside, we hear a lot of their dialogue. And this is mm-hmm. one of the things that Year One does well. Like, we're, we're pretty much told what's going on. Like, 
Somebody says to Commissioner Loeb, my organization is likewise concerned, Commissioner. Batman is costing us money. And the word organization is like my mm-hmm. organized crime family. They're all, they're, everyone's talking about Batman and how they're scared of him. And Loeb is like, we've got him under control. Don't you worry about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in a way, Commissioner Loeb is basically saying, like, we kind of like Batman. He makes the city feel safe and we don't have to stop being corrupt. Yeah, we get to stay. We get to get away with our big crimes. And, yeah. you know, he focuses on this little street level stuff. What do we care? I mean, who cares if he takes down a few criminals? Yeah. Overall, we're, we're doing great. People will be more vulnerable to us if they think they're safe. Uh, Falcone says, I don't like it. Stirring things up. Um, where is that? Uh, that's uh, page 37. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, right above that, um, there's a little there's a little moment where um, uh, they're talking to about Gillian, Jillian, whatever his name is, Loeb, the commissioner, and somebody says to him, "Well, Gil, nobody was going to come near you until the polls were into this Batman thing." And then then this guy goes, "Don't go cheap on the wine, Marion." And his wife is holding his arm. And goes, "Oh, Charlie, the things you say," and it's just like these smug rich people making these like dumb jokes. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller's pretty good at that, like, little dose of personality in the background. Yeah, I mean, Mazzuccelli gives the faces huge personality. It's great. Um, I, you know, we he's known, Frank Miller's known primarily for just, like, super violent, pulpy stories. But he's he's good at people. Like, he pays attention to character. I mean, there's no question, I mean, this is Frank Miller at his the beginning of his peak or just, just uh, into the beginning of his peak. And he can do no wrong. I mean, he is just, everything is great. Uh, we also hear a little bit about Harvey Dent, who um, Batman fans will know as Two-Face and used to be the DA. So it's fun to hear about him prior to Two-Face. To me, like this is where I first experienced Harvey Dent, mm. not as a villain. Uh, the kid Dent is pushing internal affairs to go after Detective Flass. Flass would be difficult to replace. And should he talk? Dent is your problem, Falcone. Yes, he is. Yeah, so we're getting a little foreshadowing, like Flash talking would be a problem. Harvey mm-hmm. Dent is going after him. And so the bad guys are talking about how do we get rid of Dent? How do we protect Flass? Yeah, I just love the idea of Harvey Dent, who becomes a villain, uh, being a, such a good guy beforehand. It's such a fun yeah. thing. And I don't know how much of that was in the earlier comics. I assume some of it. But I think it was hammered home and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely in the animated series. And it was really cool. The animated series spent like 20 episodes with Harvey Dent, not as Two-Face. Right. Uh, just sort of a DA who had sort of anger issues. I thought that was great. And, and that's one of the reasons I love Dark Knight, um, the Heath Ledger Joker movie, because we got to see both Harvey Dent and Two-Face. Yeah. Uh, and we saw like good Harvey Dent. Yeah. It's great. Anyway, so we get a little taste of that here. We'll see a little more later in the issue. So all the bad guys, the corrupt commissioner, corrupt politicians, criminals are talking about what to do about Batman. And then Batman himself throws a smoke bomb through a window. It lands on the table. We see him snipping the lights mm-hmm. and we, we see his plan now. Take over. Take out the wall. Hit the flood. It's showtime. He <laughs> throws like a very little funny. Yeah. He blows up a wall. There's smoke everywhere. He's backlit and he's just in shadow. Ladies, gentlemen, you have eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit. Your feast is nearly over. From this moment on, none of you are safe. And is he taking his hand and like extinguishing that flame? Yeah, I think I think he 
walked up and picked up the because I think you see the the scallops on his gauntlet. He picks up like the tray of a flaming food, which is like one of the few things lighting the room, and closes it so that the room goes completely dark. So he just scares the holy crap out of all the top level bad guys. Yeah. Next page. Loeb is screaming at Gordon. No excuses, it's, Gordon. That vigilante goes under instantly or it's your job. And Gordon just says, yes, sir. And that's it. That's the whole day. May 20th. That's all we see is that one panel. It's the next day. And it's just such a fun. It's like, they're like, ah, who cares about this guy? And he comes and threatens him. Next panel. Get him. It, and it hits it, so hard. What Frank Miller and Alan Moore were doing at this time was telling stories where, yeah, you have to kind of pay attention. Falcone is the bad guy. Loeb is the corrupt cop. Because Batman did this, he's now yelling at Gordon. I mean, it's clear, but also it's just better than most comics. Yeah, and if you're used to this comics books being sort of, uh, you know, Batman's taking out the Riddler, punches him a few times, figures out the riddle. This is very complicated compared to that stuff. Yeah. But it's um, not. It's, just a, it's, a well to, it's a noir cop story. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a reason that this comic inspired so many people and so many stories and so many uh, things. There's something about a good story that when, even when a character just has a couple of panels and they're done well, you can imagine a spinoff series. Mm-hmm. I can imagine Falcone having a bunch of stories about him just from what I've read here. Well, I can imagine Brandon, the, the, the violent massacre cop, being a character going forward. Well, I mean, the, the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, Batman comics that sort of take place in the year one thing build off this Falcone stuff hugely. Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of it was just because he was mentioned in year one. That put yeah. this guy in the map and he just became like, this is a Batman criminal forever. And I think this was where he first came to light. I'm not 100% sure of that because as always, we don't really know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. Um, so now Gordon has been ordered to take out Batman. And we and his opinion is probably he's not yet an ally of Batman. I mean, he thinks Batman is a problem, even though Batman's taking out criminals. It's a crazy person in a bat costume beating people up on the street. Right. So we see June 2nd, Detective Essen is like walking along and getting mugged and getting chased. Um, Batman is making observations. She knows how to walk in heels. So few women do these days. It's practically a lost art. Uh, then he reveals at the end, Gordon's wasting a lot of manpower on these traps. Yeah. He, he doesn't. He doesn't try to save her because he knows it's all a charade. The cops are just trying to bait him. Uh, and I'm a bad comic book reader sometimes because the first couple of captions I thought was Gordon. I didn't notice the font change because uh, mm-hmm. Batman has his own font than Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is Gordon. Sort of, he's sort of admiring Sarah. Uh, and then only like about halfway through, I was like, oh wait, this can't be Gordon. This is ba- oh, this is Batman. Yeah, pay attention, Kevin. But like even that, it's like it's like nowadays when they switch captions, they almost always like put like the insignia of the hero. So it'd be like there'd be a bat signal there. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that way you don't miss it. But also it's like you shouldn't miss it. Yeah. Uh, the next page, <laughs> this organized crime boss called the Roman whose bed has Roman pillars. Who's also part of the uh, Jeff Loeb Tim Sale long, uh, the long Halloween. It's weird. There's a guy called the Roman and he's got pillars. Yeah. Um, He's all tied up, and his security comes in. Sir, your rolls, it's gone. It was him. Said the rolls is in the river. Even told me which pier. Thinks he's a damn Robin Hood. He dies. So we see Batman is just, like, messing with the top levels of crime in Gotham. Uh, we skipped a, a, a piece oh. of dialogue that you and I both love. 
Let's do it. Um, going back to before, uh, you know, you, uh, your time is done. Okay. Yeah. Um, when he's outside setting up the floodlights, this is page 36. Okay. Lieutenant Gordon. I've been hearing his name often. All the right people seem to hate him. Oh, right. Yes. I do love that. Yeah. Just Batman knows he's heard of Gordon and he's like, oh, all the bad guys don't like Gordon. So Gordon sounds all right to me. Yeah, he hasn't fully see, made up his mind, but he's like, he's tracking him. And I guess that's a good parallel to Gordon in the police press conference saying, Batman seems to be working his way up a crime family ladder. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they're tracking each other and trying to figure out what they think of each other. Yeah. Uh, going back to page 40. Um, so I guess the issues had the graphic novel page numbers on this. They knew. They knew something was up. Because I'm reading an issue form, and this shows page 40, which it's not page 40 of the issue. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's page 40 of the story. Love it. Um, um, anyway, uh, so we're June 6th, and we see Gordon talking to Harvey Dent. So Harvey Dent is our hot good... Hot shot. Hot shot assistant DA. Harvey Dent. Good guy. Goes hard after the criminals. And Gordon is basically quiet, quietly accusing him of being Batman. Yeah, and it's a good guess. Yeah. Um, he's like, uh, you've been after the Roman for years. From what I hear actually came close to indicting him once or twice. Some of your witnesses changed their testimony. The rest vanished. It must be frustrating. And Dent goes, oh yes. I, I understand he's used his muscle to keep you as an assistant district attorney. And there's what? dumbbells in Dent's office and Gordon is taking one up and just like lifting it. Yeah, he can, like barely lift. He's like, oof, you keep in shape, don't you, Mr. Dent? And, and then what, are you, goes, what are you driving at, Lieutenant? I need to know where you were on the following dates, <laughs> which are all like Batman dates, clearly. And then uh, we cut a little forward, and, De- and Gordon's leaving the office, and Dent goes, thought he'd never leave. And Batman himself is crouching behind the desk this whole time. Yeah, which is sort of, it looks cool in that shot, but sort of embarrassing. Yes, um, but I guess Hiding it also... Under the desk. It's like a kid stealing the answers on a test. It also <laughs> confirms to the reader, Batman is not Harvey Dent. Right. Well, right. I guess we knew that. But we I, knew I that. Um, but I think it shows you that Batman is working with Harvey Dent. Yeah. Harvey Dent is okay. Um, we see Gordon driving with Essen afterwards, and Essen asks, you really think he's Batman, Lieutenant? It's possible. Dent certainly is passionate enough, but it takes more than muscles to fight the way Batman does or to get around the way he does in those weapons. I mean, he's got an arsenal hard to afford on Dent's salary. They, they basically put it together right here. Essence says, money, Lieutenant. Bruce Wayne is the richest man in Gotham, and being from out of town, you might not know this, but his parents were murdered by a mugger, I think. He was just a little boy at the time. Like, they basically figure it out, who Batman is. Yeah, or they at least know, I mean, it could be that Bruce Wayne is funding Harvey Dent, Batman. They're just, it's just, you know, it's one of the, like, it's fun when every when characters are smart in stories. Uh, but like then we see this, Yeah. Uh, sorry, yes. It's great when characters are smart and like mm-hmm. it, they should figure it out. Gordon should know. Mm-hmm. But then Gordon says, I could kiss you, Essen. Yeah, and his caption is, I'm already tasting her lipstick on the cigarette. I mean, this story is great. <laughs> yeah. She's looking at him and uh, he's smiling and he's falling for her. Um, her fingernails bite into my knee. That truck, what the hell? Like a truck almost crashes into them and we get an action sequence here. Yeah. So this sequence would still be in my Gordon book. Okay. Um, 
Somebody had a tr- somebody's driving a truck just out of control. Batman notices it. Gordon notices it. So Gordon starts driving alongside this truck. We don't know the story with it. Also, Batman has noticed it, and his little silhouetted form is leaping down from a rooftop to investigate. And a woman in a shopping cart is in danger of being hit by this out-of-control truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon climbs out of the car, has Essen take over driving as he leaps into the truck to try to take control of this uh, van. Uh, but uh, he's he, not going to get there in time. And then out of nowhere, Batman knocks the woman out of the way of the truck and saves her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, ba- uh, Gordon hits his head. There's a panel of blackness as he sort of uh, can't see for a second. Wakes up, sees Sarah pointing the gun at Batman. The truck has sort of uh, crashed into a fence. The, the woman's alive. Uh, everything is, is is chaos. Yeah, but Eston's got a gun pointed at Batman. And she says, don't move you. But then she turns her head to look at Gordon. Lieutenant, you all right? And Gordon's like, never mind me. Don't take your eyes off. But just in the time she turns his head, Batman like shoves her and escapes. Yep. But she had called the cops. So while Gordon was unconscious, Essen was able to like call the cops, hold Batman at gunpoint. And now he's in danger of being caught by the Gotham police. Right. Um, and also, like, Bat- Gordon blacks out again for a second, like, when he pulls out his gun to stop Batman, but he's sort of, he's still shaken from uh, the head wound he just took hitting the sidewalk uh, and and sort of comes to, he's checking on a- a Sarah, Brandon's on his way, Batman's down the alley, everyone is running. Everyone thinks they're going to get the cop, but even as, like, so now the cops are closing in on Batman, who's running away into an abandoned building, but Gordon even says, save that old woman. He He's, like, putting it together that Batman is a good guy. Yeah, uh, which is completely locked in next issue right here. I mean, he hasn't had, what's nice about this is that because Gordon sort of was thrown and hits his head, he doesn't have time to fully put it together. Like, if he had been okay this whole time, right away he'd be like, this guy's okay. Right. But because of how everything went down, he, he doesn't have time to say, everyone stop. And the it's story, already escalating. The story is so good. Uh, the shot of Batman running, he looks panicked. I mean, he's been shot in the leg, so I guess it makes sense. But it's like Adam West running away from something. Oh, yeah, we're seeing him mid-shot. Like that, his weird body language is being shot by a bullet, I yeah. think. Then he does a forward vault somersault into the, through a boarded-up window of an abandoned building. And the cops have surrounded, and he's in this building, and he's trying to figure out a way out. Yeah, and no one fires without my order. Get the front of that place covered. Merkel, take a squad to the roof. Uh, Gordon is trying to control this. He doesn't want anyone shooting. Yeah, uh, we've already seen that he's not a violent guy. He also is gathering. He's wondering if Batman is not. What's the story with this guy? Maybe he's not a bad guy. But then Brandon, the cop we met at the beginning of the issue, is violent. We hear a helicopter coming in. Yeah, but even just before that, Commissioner, there's no need for it. Batman hasn't attacked anybody. Uh, but yeah, then we hear the helicopter come in and it drops basically, I don't even know what it is, napalm or something. Uh, yeah, the commissioner didn't want to miss this chance, called in his friend Brandon, said he checked the building, said it's due for demolition, said nobody would be hurt, nobody except the derelict or two, and Batman. So Batman in this abandoned building as we close the issue and a, like a army level explosion is dropped mm. in the top of this building. Yep, and it explodes. I mean, uh, so Batman dies. Batman dies, and that's the end of Batman. And I think, I think it was a bad move to kill I, him. I think it was good. I think Gordon is clearly the star of this book. He always has been, mm-hmm. and now we know mm-hmm. that. Take Batman out. Now let's see what Gordon's really made of. I <laughs> know uh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal issue. 
I mean, like it opens with Gordon showing he doesn't want to use guns and we establish Brandon as this violent dude. And it ends with the two of them now not going after a kidnapper, but going after Batman. Gordon's trying not to use guns, but now Brandon's allowed to because the commissioner was so scared by Batman that it's like, you know, yeah, by any means necessary. End the Batman. Uh, what's your favorite part of this phenomenal issue, Will? It's that first shot of Batman, the blue sky, the silhouetted Batman, right after Gordon says a city without hope, and then we see Batman running along the rooftops. Uh, I mean, I, I like, get chills just thinking about it. I like Batman admiring uh, Gordon. All the wrong people like him. Uh, or all the right people seem to hate him. And I, I had mean, the opposite. You could pick almost any panel sure. in this issue and make an argument for it. Uh, I mean, obviously the moment everyone loves of, you know, you've dined well tonight is great. Uh, the shots through the cape is great. Um, shots through the cape might be my second favorite. Just it's uh, so fun. Gordon interrogating Harvey Dent, I think, is really fun. Yep. Uh, Gordon uh, and Essen putting together that Bruce Wayne is someone who might be involved in this. Loeb ordering Gordon to uh, take down Batman. It's incredible. It's like a smash cut in a comedy. Eh, he's yeah. okay. Cut to, you catch this guy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, real, the, the iconic moment of Batman like being super dramatic and uh, throwing the floodlights and stuff, it's almost kind of silly. Like it's, it's silly that, it, I mean, it doesn't read as silly. It works great. But the idea of a dude like, okay, I got to set up my lights. Well, he even says, it's from- showtime. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little uh, I don't know. No, it's, it's like the dramatic um, for a Batman. Uh, all not that dramatic. jazz. Yeah. Uh, Batman's putting on a little bit of a show all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. What happened to the mission? Like he's <laughs> yeah. the kind of guy who's like looking at his photograph in the newspaper being like, ah, oh, they took that photo. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Miller basically establishes that Batman was a theater kid. He really loved, yeah. you know, Sondheim. Uh, uh, he's, he's, he's got a love of theatricality and stagecraft. Um, um yeah. So, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just great. I'm so glad we're doing it. <laughs> we, this is such a long episode. It's such a short oh, issue. We talk forever. Yeah. Well, we, we can't, uh, we can't shut up about this. When comics are this good, you'd sort of like, oh, I can't skip any panel. Uh, do you have time to go a little bit longer, answer some emails? I do. Great, let's do it. Um, I don't want the listeners to. I think they should get out of here. Okay, great. Uh, listeners, stop listening now. Uh, every, unless you sent us an email, <laughs> we're going to answer it. Uh, this is from Travis Walston. Mm. I was wondering if you two were fans of Grant Morrison. If mm. so, what comics by him do you like? Excelsior. I haven't read a ton. I read, I've read a weird collection of Grant Morrison. I've read mm-hmm. The Filth, which is a strange thing to have read. And I read his um, The Dog Story, the X3 or whatever it's called. We the, Three. We Three. Um, and I read Kill Your Girlfriend. Did he write that? I think so. Yeah, Something so like read, that. And th- these are sort of like, fr- not they're not like your main Grant Morrison. Oh, and I read All-Star Superman. I guess I have read a bunch of Grant Morrison. Yeah, uh, I'm very hit or miss with Grant Morrison. Sometimes I, I really hated The Filth. The Filth uh, was too much for me. I, I mean, I didn't hate it, but it was kind of boring. I disliked it a lot. Uh, we Three is really fun. I've read that. All-Star Superman is fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, but I haven't read like Doom Patrol and Animal Man, like his two big mainstream hits. I have the Doom Patrol collection. I just haven't got around to reading it. I, I started it and uh, I think I just wasn't in the right mindset and I it, it it's like one of those comics you have to kind of read real slowly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
I might not like it when it gets to it, but um, yeah. and people love it. People love it, and that's crazy for me to say that. I really want to try his Animal Man. I think that might be more my speed. Um, so and he yeah. did a Justice League run, right? I mean, his run in Justice League JLA, the most mainstream thing he probably ever did, I guess. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't that crazy other than he amped it up. Like, he basically took the Justice League and was like, if you had a team with these people, what threats would they face? Yeah. And, like, he has them, like... There's like an issue where uh, Superman is like wrestling an angel, <laughs> a literal that's, that's, angel. Uh, and I think like the caption is something like Superman was just thinking he can't live up to his own legacy and he's wrestling an angel right now. Like there's things like that or <laughs> Aquaman who's like, you know, the king of the oceans. Yeah. He's portrayed like, yeah, he is one of the most powerful people to ever walk the earth. Yeah. Uh, and John Jones is treated like one of the most powerful creatures to ever walk this earth. And the team is made up of those people. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds and it, fun. And, it, and also it keeps with the continuity. So it's like, it's got Kyle Rainier as the green lantern. So it's not Hal Jordan. Cause Hal Jordan wasn't around then it's Wally okay. West as flash. Uh, Superman becomes electric for a few issues because he was electric in the Superman books. Like mm. he has power set changed completely. Oh, weird. Um, and Superman like makes the JLA re audition him. He's like, my power set is completely different. I shouldn't just be in because I used to be Superman. And like, yeah, but you're in. And like, he's still super the best. <laughs> so like amazing. And so it doesn't matter what his powers are. He's incredibly powerful. But just like showing that is sort of really fun. And like there's stuff like that throughout his run. His JLA run is really, really, really fun. In a way that a lot of his comics I find like are sort of like weird and trippy and uh, uh, on three levels. And JLA didn't feel like that. Mm. JLA felt like uh, Michael Bay done right. <laughs> All-Star Superman was incredibly fun. It felt like just really creative Superman yeah. stories that were like, oh, what a good idea. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. I never thought of it from that angle. And and pretty easy to read also. Yeah, I mean, the issue... A lot issue, of that had to do with the art. Frank Quietly was like such an incredible um, artist. The issue where uh, Clark Kent goes to visit Lex Luthor in prison and yes, Parasite so Attacks fun. is one of my favorite single issues... Of any superhero comic. He just goes, power! So yeah. much power! He can sense Superman is there and starts lunging after him, but yeah. Clark Kent doesn't want to turn into Superman. <laughs> Meanwhile, like Lex Luthor's like lecturing about how superior he is, and it's just really and great. And ob- oblivious to the parasite, yeah. absorbing Superman's energy and getting more and more dangerous. It's a really yeah. fun issue. It's a really, really, really fun issue. Um, so yeah, I... Um, I like Grant Morrison, but I'm not one of those guys who he's definitely not a creator where I'm like, oh, he did something. I'm going to pick it up and try it. Yeah. Um, For some people he is and he should be. For me, he doesn't quite hit that nerve. Also, I think he got big at the same time like Warren Ellis and Garth Enos. And that must have been when I was in college because I think I just missed all these books starting like planetary and stuff and uh, transmetropolitan, uh, but transmetropolitan preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, cause planetary I was aware of that was a little later. Okay. Um, who did the boys? The boys is Garthinus. That was later too though. But like their big things was a uh, preacher and transmetropolitan where I, in my mind came out around the same time and probably were just after like animal man. Oh, animal mm-hmm. man must've been earlier. Animal man was way earlier. I think I just missed it cause I was a kid cause animal yeah. man was during JLE. Yeah. So that would have been like 91 or 89, something in that range. I know what you're saying. I, I associate those guys together too. Like these kind of like trippy. Mm-hmm. It's like the children of. Well, they're all British. 
they're and they're all after Frank Miller and Alan Moore. So after the gritty, the after the comics industry became gritty, and after Neil Gaiman, even. Yeah. So, comics all of a sudden there's room for like super literate, hyper violent stories, which Preacher is one of those. Yeah, and I uh, and I find all those guys very hit or miss um, to different degrees. Um, yeah, but yeah, but I feel like I missed it because I, I do remember being like, oh, I never read Transmetric Portal. I never, I had to go back and read Preacher, and I didn't like it. But I was like, I I need to read this thing everyone loves. I didn't love Preacher either, but I did get it. I'm like, I think if I had come come across it when I was younger, I would have loved it. Yeah, I think it would have had to be younger. I found it, uh, I didn't like it at all, and I love some of Garthinus' stuff, and I hate other stuff he does. He's yeah. very hit or miss with me. And Transmetropolitan, I couldn't get into. And but like I loved Planetary, so I just don't know. I read a couple issues of Transmetropolitan. It was just hard for me to keep up with it. I, I got tired. I was like, you know what? I'm just exhausted of reading this. Yeah. It's like it did seem good though. I was like, I can see where somebody would be into this. Like I know that it's good. I mean, I tried Planetary because I liked John Cassidy, the artist mm. from a Western comic he did. And then like the first issue in, I'm like, well, this is unbelievably cool. Yeah. I love Planetary, but I weirdly can't remember almost anything that happens, but I did love it. I remember like the first couple arcs way more than anything else, because I think there was also a long gap in the middle. And so I reread the early stories a lot and I only read it all through like once or twice. I see. Uh, But yeah. uh, So Travis, I don't know if we answered your question. We've read him and we don't have anything specific to recommend. we, we, we We were maybe too old to totally fall under his spell the way some people have, but I don't know. He's super good and doesn't need our endorsement. Um, Justin Bridge emailed with his pick for an Avengers Justice League team. Okay. Which is something we talked about in the last episode. Uh, so pe- that comes out after we're recording this. So Justin, I told him we were, he asked the question. I was like, oh, we already answered this. So he got ahead of the curve here. But if you have your own Avengers Justice League International lineups, I'd love to hear them. Uh, his lineup is Captain America. Um, oh, yeah. Uh and sort of the Batman role, Hawkeye, sort of a blue beetle booster gold, Moon Knight, mysterious, creepy, insane, She-Hulk, fully aware she's in a comic book, Marvel Boy slash Justice, fanboy living the dream, Captain Marvel, uh, I think he meets Carol, uh, been there, done that, Daredevil, uh, gets into a lot of trouble with She-Hulk, Iron Man, cocky, smart, full of himself, yet charming like RDJ, Thor, dumb jock, but he isn't actually, Spider-Woman, been there, done that. Um, which uh, uh, is much more mainstream than I let you pick, Will. Right. Some of those guys I weren't allowed to pick. Yeah. I've thought more about it. Um, at the very end last week when we did that, I threw out um, U.S. Agent as my guy yes. gardener. And once I thought about that, it all started coming into place. Uh, <laughs> She-Hulk is a good pick. She-Hulk is sort of a fun... She can. She's very JL energy. Especially the John Byrne-ish era of yeah. her. That's um, the only She-Hulk in my opinion. So you got to put her in there. Uh, I think Iron Fist and Wonder Man. I, That's fine. That's the way I put it because I think Wonder Man is also sort of very malleable in how serious yeah. he takes it. He also brings a power set. Vision, I think you mentioned, is a John Jones. I think he's got to be in there. Uh, Black Canary sort of is like the shadowy, and Black Widow rather, as sort of the shadowy Batman figure. Um, once you get those, that's pretty close right there. That's pretty, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's a good lineup. Um, anyway. We'll uh, figure it out someday. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. It's been haunting me how badly we answered that. We did a terrible job. Uh, Jason Waters emailed us. Good. Um, he works at Heroes Initiative. Well, I don't know if you know what Heroes Initiative is. It's one of those. I don't. 
charities that like raises money for comic creators who need it for whatever reason, like they were in an accident and they, you know, it's like the okay. GoFundMe just for comic creators in a sense. Okay. Okay. It's a great, great, um, charity. And you should go to heroinitiative.org uh, if you want us to help people out. Um, like they're definitely, they've definitely helped out tons of creators who are just sort of like down on their luck. Cause there's no pension when you're writing comic books. It's whatever you save for yourself. You're completely freelance. Yeah. Uh, he wrote uh, just about Wally West. I'm just going to read a part of this because it's long. Uh, but he basically is talking about how conservative Wally was prior to basically crisis. Because um, he, he read a lot of the new Teen Titans trades where, where Wally was in a lot of those. Okay. Uh, let's see. Wally, as Kid Flash, is written as somewhat somber, innocent, bordering on simple-minded Reaganite who can't decide if A, wants to even be Kid Flash anymore, and B, can never get Raven to love him, even though the promise of a relationship is how she coerced him to join the team in the first place. During the run, he meets Francis Kane, a Carrie wannabe with magnetic powers instead of mind powers. They attend college together. Whenever he makes an appearance after he meets her, she's there with him, but he'll drop anything for Raven, even while... He whines that she'll never love him or allow him close to her. It's a weird mm. dynamic, especially for how long it lasts. And even Francis gets irritated by it. Wally quit being Kid Flash the same time Dick Grayson quit being Robin. He left the team and didn't make a major return until Crisis. Um, and I think that's very interesting. Like That is a huge shift from... Yeah, they just kind of replaced his personality totally. Yeah. Uh, he says it was mainly, mo- maybe it was mostly Marv Wolfman that treated him like a sourpuss. Was his words, not mine. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, I never read New Titans, despite that being one of those epic landmark series. Um, I read yeah. like a handful of issues here and there, especially I read some near the very end of New Titans when it was bad. Um, so Wally was not on the team at that point. But yeah, it's very interesting to think of Wally as like, uh, gosh, I hope this girl likes me. Yeah. And then he becomes sort of this lecherous, yeah. obnoxious character in JLE. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the email, Jason. Everyone support Heroes Initiative. Uh, Jason Lyman Grover sent us an email for a bamboo silk mop. Good. <laughs> because we're milk sops. I see. <laughs> um, so if you want to buy a silk mop, Will. I guess we should. Um, he says it's fitting. Loves He loves the podcast. Looking forward to our Batman and Sandman episodes. I just got an email while we were recording. Do you want me to read this one unseen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is from Nick Wood. Longtime fan here. He mentions his Instagram handle. Love the new season and excited to hear you finish Batman year one. I'm writing for two reasons. First of all, Will, did you know you were wrong about the word nonplussed? I mean, my God, you should be so embarrassed. I can't believe it. Kevin's out here trying to do his best to make you look good. And geez, again, I didn't read this till just now. It's another person. This person clearly steering into the fact that he knows you've been corrected. Yep. And I, yep, uh, many times I deserve it. Uh, secondly, did you guys ever read Squirrel Girl? Uh, I have. I bought the first collection of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which is a hilarious comic with a very unique style. And at the end, they included Squirrel Girl's origin. And to my surprise, it's drawn by, do you know, Will? Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko. And even more surprising is how hilarious and bonkers it is. To me, it's really amazing to imagine the super serious Ditko taking on the design for Squirrel Girl in his late age. And he kills it. It's a very silly story with some cool Ditko-esque acrobatics, 
some creepy facial expressions and ends with an absolutely incredible finale. I'm attaching the images so you can see it if you haven't. Uh, take care during all this craziness, uh, and thank you for continuing the show. It really is a wonderful break nowadays. Um, uh, I I did know that Steve Ditko uh, created Squirrel Girl. I do love the Squirrel Girl comic book that ran for 60-plus issues. Uh, but I think Steve Ditko, despite being serious, is great at comedy. We've talked about this before a little bit. Yeah, his physical comedy is really good. It's better than Kirby. Um, yeah, I think he's very, very funny. Uh, I, I mean, I think, you know... Ditko is crazy in his own way, but when he's telling a funny story, he does a good job at it. He's good at it. I mean, like I still think about that panel where um, Peter Parker's handing pants to J. John to Jameson. (laughs) And it's just, that's a very funny image. Yeah. And he sells that in a way that like, I don't know. It's not like the thing punching a hole through the wall. Like Stan Lee did the heavy lifting of the humor in FF. Yeah. But Ditko and Lee were funny together. I still remember Parker hitting Flash in the boxing ring in that yeah. Spider-Man story, and Flash is just absolutely knocked unconscious by the slightest Spider-Man punch. Or the robot uh, chasing Peter Parker, <laughs> and the kids are chasing the robot. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't know, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon sequence. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of funny silliness in those Spider-Man comics. Uh, Doctor Strange didn't really have much silliness, I guess, but... No, there's uh, one, the Dread Dormammu puts on a fake mustache and tries mm-hmm. to get into a party where he doesn't have a pass. I mean, I would read that. <laughs> I would read that particularly if Dicko drew it, but I would read that regardless, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, so uh, keep reading Un- Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. It stays good throughout the entire run, Nick. And anyone else who hasn't read Squirrel Girl, it's sort of all ages fun, but it is legitimately hilarious. I read the first four or five issues and I really liked it. She defeats everybody. I think she, she is Galactus her is her first villain. <laughs> is it, I mean, her, the, they gave her the name Unbeatable because in her first appearance she beats Doctor Doom, Mm-mm. which is what he's referring to in this origin story. Like Squirrel Girl meets and defeats Doctor Doom with like the help of her squirrel friends, mm-hmm. um, and then like just throughout her time she basically consistently uh, defeats overpowered character so it became sort of this trope because you had seen so rarely it was just funny to be like oh somewhere there's a squirrel girl character who can take down anybody but yeah. then this ongoing comic had to come out and it was like that's sort of her thing now can, do we own that <laughs> and they did and it's great it's funny um if you want to email us you can email us at screw it spidey at gmail we also have an instagram account screw it comics and um we have a Twitter, Screw It Comics. And then we have these other Instagram accounts, which are really good. Screw It Recent. That's just whatever Kevin is reading. And we have our old Screw It Spidey Instagram that's going through a renaissance as Kevin reads a bunch of uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. But listen, I just flooded you with a lot of social media information. So Screw It Spidey at Gmail is how to email us. And Screw It Comics is our Instagram. That's what we would love you to follow. Those are the two most important ones. Um, thanks guys for listening to this long episode. I bet next episode will be equally long. Just as long. Um, bye everybody. You've dined well tonight, Will. Thank you. What's up, stoners? Welcome to I'm Too Effing High. Hi. <laughs> It's a podcast where we test the age-old question, does marijuana make you funnier? I'm here to talk to you about eating people. I bring on comedians. I get them high on marijuana. Ooh. 
yes. It's just like Fisherman's Cop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what and I would know. <laughs> Please give a warm welcome to Nicole Byer, Tim Bob, Sam Richardson, Mary Holland. Are you guys ready for this show tonight? I'm too effing high. New episodes every Tuesday. Stay yeah. too effing high, you guys. Campfire.